So too, I was really aware as I was reading it last night, that text, it's pretty strong and I hope it landed for each of you in a helpful place because one of the challenges is that we don't take the teachings as a judgement rather as an encouragement and a way of working with what we're experiencing. So this, this sutta has got this sense of really what it's like to be alive in the, in the kind of turmoil of the rushing rivers and the, in the great wash of what it's like to be born into a physical body you know, into a, as a sensitive being and uh, the folk who it's given to are practitioners you know, who are very skilled in their practice but they're obviously at very different levels of development and you'll notice this as you read it and you might even find yourself relating more to one of them than another you know? so it's a bit like we turned up to ask questions coming from a particular kind of practice from that time. And what's really astounding to me about it is that the, what the Sutta really says is if you can know the way things are, if you have the mindfulness and awareness to really be with what is here and now, you will awaken out of the rush and river of birth and aging. And it, it, if we just take it and work on that level, it's very powerful. And it points to a whole reality that's not that. It is possible to be free of dukkha, yeah, of suffering. So we use this word dukkha because it, it's, a, you know, some people translate the Buddhist teachings as Buddhists believe everything is suffering. But it's a misinterpretation because it's like everything is dukkha and it's dukkha because it's transitory, it's impermanent, it's not under our control. So it can be very pleasant, as we know, things can be incredibly pleasant and their pleasantness is not a problem. You know, Cloud Mountain, we get these beautiful trees, this lovely environment, it's deliberate, it's not a hindrance. The problem is if we start clinging to it, if we want it to stay the same, then we're in trouble. Because in you know, eight days, not sure how long, we have to go somewhere else. Yeah. And then you see the suffering inherent in that. So it's about the fact that things don't remain the same. 
we have to really see what's called the anicca, the movement inherent in everything. And the way we get into trouble is by fighting with that, by clinging, which is the word in the sutta, by wanting things to be other than they are, and a craving. Okay. So it's about being really clear about what feeling, you know, feeling pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. It's got to be some kind of feeling. But what do you do with that feeling? And that's where the inquiry is. So we just start observing what's happening for us. So sitting in meditation, I was feeling myself and I was thinking, hmm, in the room, and it's lovely to feel the stillness in our sitting space. But I'm aware that at this point in the retreat, for most people, you start to get really physically uncomfortable. Because just not so used to sitting for longer periods of time. It's just how it tends to work. And it's very nice if for some of you that's not what's happening. Because... It can be really um, difficult to hold steady when the body becomes really uncomfortable. And I was sitting there, and as I said, I've got something silly happened in my shoulder. And I think, ha ha. You know, it's it's helpful because we can we can think something's going wrong, and we can. We forget that the body is not ours, as we chanted this morning. That we can have the sense that we're in control of it. We can stop it hurting when it hurts. We can always keep it pleasant. We can stop it ageing. You know, all these things, the sense of control of me, mine. You know, and, and we get that challenged in these kind of circumstances. So, how do we work with unpleasant bodily feeling? What do you do? And as I was sitting there, I remembered a discourse that I brought in. Because I always say to myself, well, you're practicing for dying. Because we don't know when that's going to happen. And unless we have some of the angels I know are in the room, it may not be pleasant. You know, these days there are incredible efforts to make, make it so that it's not a torture. But we don't know where we'll be and what support there'll be. So to actually get so that whatever is happening, we can be present. Yeah. And we practice in these small ways, knowing that we want to be able to be present when things are pleasant and when they're unpleasant. And as I was thinking this morning, uh, Sutta came back to me. Anatta Pindika is, was dying. Some of you will be familiar with it. 
and because it relates so directly to the teaching last night, I thought I'd read a little bit of it. So, some of you will know who Anata Pindaka is. He was one of the most generous of the lay community to the Buddha. When he first saw the Buddha, he was so excited. He started kind of rushing around and doing things. And what one of the things he did was he bought a great park for the community to live in and invited the, the community and the Buddha to have that as a dwelling place. And they used it all through the Buddha's life, life at various times. He had to pay to get this land, he had to cover it with gold. That's how excited he was. So, we know Anata Pindaka had tremendous faith. He'd, he'd seen the Buddha and he knew there was a way out. So, I won't read the whole thing, but this is from the time, you know, Anata Pindaka is afflicted, suffering, gravely ill. And so he sends one of his attendants to go to the Buddha and really pay respects and give his um, homage to the Buddha and to let him know how ill he is. And he sends off someone else to Sariputta, Venerable Sariputta, who he had great confidence in, to tell him how sick he is and to say, please, out of compassion, come see me. So Sariputta goes to the house of Anatta Pindaka and they have a conversation. And essentially Sariputta comes and says, I hope you're getting well, householder. I hope you're comfortable. I hope your painful feelings are subsiding and not increasing. And that subsiding, not their increasing, is apparent. So that he's hoping as Anata Pindaka is lying there, he can feel you know, painful feeling decreasing, pleasant feeling increasing. But Anata Pindaka says, well, no, it's not like that. And he describes the terrible pain he's in. And it's kind of formulaic, people get terrible blasting pains in their heads and feeling of knives ripping up their insides. And you'll, if you read any suttas you'll be familiar with this description of what he felt like. A bit like terrible wind. So, so he says, my painful feelings are increasing, not subsiding. Their increase and not their subsiding is apparent. So he has this mindfulness, he can see what's happening. No? He's not taken over, he's aware. Then, householder, you should train yourself thus. I will not cling to the eye, and my eye consciousness will not be dependent on the eye. And he goes through all the sense spaces, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. So just don't cling to it. Don't cling to the odours, 
Don't cling to the flavours, the tangibles, mind objects. You must train yourself. Don't cling to eye consciousness, ear consciousness. So it keeps going through to all the different aspects of experience. Won't cling to contact, eye contact, so sight, sounds. I won't cling to the feeling born of eye contact. So what happens when I see the trees? So you notice it happening but not clinging. Feeling born of nose, tongue, body contact will not cling. I will not cling to the earth element, not to the water element, not to the fire element, not to the air element, not to the space element, not to the consciousness element. I will not cling to material form, not to feeling, not to perception, not to formations, not to consciousness. So he goes on to say, not to cling to different states of concentration. You should train yourself thus, I will not cling to this world and my consciousness will not be dependent on the world. I will not cling to the world beyond and my consciousness will not be dependent on the world beyond. Thus you should train. You should train. I will not cling to what is seen, heard, sensed, cognized, encountered, sought after, and examined by the mind, and my consciousness will not be dependent on that. And so Anatta Pindika starts to cry. So the Venerable Ananda, who's come with Sariputra, says, Oh, householder, are you foundering? Are you sinking? And I am not foundering, Venerable Ananda. I am not sinking. But although I have waited upon the teacher and the Sangha worthy of esteem, never before have I heard such a talk on the Dharma. Such a talk on the Dharma householder is not usually given to those who have not gone forth. Well then, Venerable Sariputta, let such talk on the Dharma be given to the lay people. They are people with little dust in their eyes who are wasting away through not hearing such talk on the Dharma. There will be those who understand. So they give him a little more advice and they depart and Anatta Pindika dies. He actually reappears as a devata, so and goes to the Buddha and praises this particular teaching. But, you know, you can all read that for yourselves, but in terms of our practice here, what does it mean not to cling? And it's a gradual thing, but it's to start to see what your mind is thinking. You know, I'm this, I'm that. And just to put a question mark there. We stop believing everything. We start keeping things much lighter. Maybe it's like that, but maybe it's like something different. We start softening the edges. <coughs> so as we sit here in the body, 
feels painful. Is it painful? If you start really inquiring into that experience, what's it like? You feel the energy, you feel the movement. You let things come from being so solid and everything has a clear designation to just being much softer about it. We don't, we don't cling because if the body is painful, we're not arguing with that. We're not taking a view on it. Maybe it's like this now. It can be staggering, as we are talking to some folk yesterday. Five minutes later it can feel entirely different. We let the movement happen. We don't take a position. It's a, it's a training, as Sariputta tells us. You know, it's not that we do it all at once. There'll be times when we've got really about something and we notice this contraction and we breathe out and we loosen up. We see that tightening as clinging. So it's not a complicated thing. Sounds complicated with eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, eye consciousness. It's a what it's really saying is that wherever we start making things solid, where we lose a sense of their shiftingness, we get into trouble. We you know we can sit here and just start really recognizing what makes up our experience. Sense of sounds and they're coming together, you know, with hearing and you know, sound consciousness and the feeling born of that. And then the thoughts that come with that. And we just see the whole chain of how things arise. And we let that arising happen and we let as the conditions change it just go back into emptiness. So we get really familiar with the way things come into being and just fall away again. So letting the things be as they are. It's helpful to have the Buddha's um, sophisticated analysis of what mind is, what the experience of being alive is. You know that there are these six sense doors. Because it gives us a way of working with the complexity of our experience. Because so much is coming in. And I can, myself, I find helpful sometimes just to pay attention to one of these sense doors. You know, to eye, to ear, to body, to taste, at a time. And you just 
sit there and you feel like, what is it like to have experience, like bodily experience? What is it like to see things? And if you've got really obsessed with one sense door, you know, like with the feeling in the body, it can be quite interesting to open your eyes and just look at something else. Because you'll recognise you can only have one object in awareness at a time. So if you find the mind's contracted over something and it's become obsessed about it, it can just be really powerful to start listening. You know, so we change, we change where our focus is, just for even for a moment, because it gives us a bit of space. We start to see how experience is formed. You know, so it's essentially it's to keep it very simple, because this can sound quite complicated, but simply being here, noticing what's happening, you know, what, what we're in contact with, what happens in terms of feeling, and noticing if we're trying to hold on, and what that feels like. What it feels like if you want to stay in the pleasure of meditation, and the bell goes. the wanting and the not wanting. Or you're sitting there and it's been hurting and you're just desperate for the person in the room to ring the bell. We're, just, we're waking up to what's happening for us. Not because it's right or wrong, but because to know what is happening is freeing. We start to be able to have more choice. We can respond more wholesomely with kindness, compassion, equanimity. Yeah. So as we sit, we come into the meditation, we feel Form, we feel a breath, and we use this to help us be present to what is happening. It gives us the grounded capacity to be present. And because this is takes a lot of work on one level, even though it's so easy. We use the breath, if we can, or the body, because it's so soothing. So we have something that brings a profound sense of well-being. Just being here, simply breathing, letting the mind quieten. So it has a, the, it's a bit like with that shake in mud. When the, when the mud settles, 
and the water is clear. You can see more easily what's going on. Mm. And that's the value of retreat time. That we really have the opportunity to see the places we habitually cling and grasp and resist. And we can get lighter around them. Because when there's clear seeing, you recognise, oh, this is painful, and the hand lets go. This is heavy. So notice, as these things are happening in your mind, is it painful? And for myself, it can be enough to just recognise this is dukkha, it's stressful. <clears throat> and feeling what that feels like, not resisting it, having the stability from the meditation to be present, and then see what happens. So we walk, we sit, we stand, we lie down. All these postures there, they say four, but really it means in everything we're doing, we're being aware of what is happening for us. Where we're wanting things to be different, wanting pleasant things to be permanent, unpleasant things to be very impermanent and move very quickly. Just noticing. And we stop taking sides with conditions because you start to recognise pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, it just feels like being on a roller coaster. And we start to see there's a deeper ground where it's actually free of all of that. So that would be my encouragement that in, in this experience of noticing conditions, there are moments when we know what isn't changing, isn't born, doesn't die, this island you cannot go beyond. Because it's here too. No, it's open eye call, here and now, not delayed in time. So we're we're working with conditions and the unconditioned. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.